Welcome to Why the Long Face. Two old friends lifting the lid on mental health over a beer with author and psychiatrist Paul Keedwell and business consultant and so-called comedian Ollie Turnbull. Hello everyone and welcome to, uh, it's episode five now of season four of Why the Long Face. I'm Oliver Turnbull. With me is Dr. Paul Keedwell. Hello, Paul. Hello there. Hi. And uh, what we're doing, of course, is we're, we're tracking the journey of our friend, golly, uh, several decades actually, um, Ash Pollock, um, through a, a recent episode uh, that he had of a, a high and a low, having previously suffered from uh, bipolar. I'm sure you get the form right now. And we've, we've got to part five now. And we're at the time now where Ash uh, is, uh, I suppose you'd categorize it as going into the high. We'll, we'll talk a little bit later about highs and mania and what these, what these things mean. But it's a very personal thing, um, as you'll find. Ash is still Ash. Mm. Um, but he's going through this thing that you could, uh, could construe as a high. Um, Paul, anything you want to just say to set the scene before we just set the tape rolling and go uh, and listen to Ash's um, session with Pete? Yeah, I think uh, this is a progression, really, uh, and a peak of uh, Ash's high, and that's how he sees it, and I think I agree with him. Um, as I said last time in episode four, I, think, I thought he was already going a bit high there, but this is where... Ash feels he's, he's sort of hit the peak. So uh, without any further ado, Ash, shall we have a listen to your clip? Yeah, let's go for it. Hi, I'm Ashley. For the last 12 years, I've said I used to have bipolar. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm a life coach for creative humans like Ash. And good to be with you here again, Pete. So we're now episode five. Episode five. Yes. So this is the 18th of March. Yeah. Only a couple of weeks later from the last one. And what's going on for you in this one? So, yeah, this is an interesting one because it's not an audio note in the way that I've been making the other audio notes. This is um, an audio message that I sent to another fabulous human, Josh Finneman, who facilitates a group that I'm part of, uh, like a men's circle, which to those who know what that is, might sound cool to those who don't that might sound a bit what is a men's circle so, so, so what is a men's circle <laughs> yeah so i was invited i think maybe you're getting a sense in this podcast that i'm open-minded to spending time with neuroscientists and spending time uh, getting to know myself and meditation and exploring all of these things anyways josh used to run an agency i used to run an agency we got to know each other back then and he started facilitating groups and he was the person who introduced me to the effectively journaling that led to the audio notes. Right. He also facilitates this fabulous group, six of us, six blokes, who are all achieving good things, big things, like people who are running companies yep. or at the top of their game or figuring yep. out their game yep. on my behalf. And each month we have a call where we just are open with each other and able to share where we're at. Yeah, and to help right. each other effectively. Right. right. And so this note is something that I sent to Josh after attending one of these groups. Attending remotely, if I understand. Attending that. remotely, yes. Right. And it just so happens <laughs> that that group was taking place the day before, and this is in the UK. I was in the UK. We'll explain why in a minute. The day before I came back and had 
my sort of flip, my crash, effectively. Right. So it's like two days before my crash. Okay. Because I don't have anything else. I think that's one of the things of a high period is you're just like so in the flow of everything that you don't think there's any problem, right? Mm -hmm. I know from going back to my 20s, I only saw psychiatrists when I was low, never when I was high. Right. Um, your I, in this case, am a bit out of control. And so if someone at this point had stopped me to say something, and in fact, that's more the point, in this group, I was stopped and someone said something. And this audio note is me responding. Right. And so to give context, that week, uh, there was an event in the UK, a gardening event, and our one of our suppliers was going to be there. And so I said to my wife, my business partner, I'm going to fly to the UK. I'm going to go and meet up with him. I'm also going to meet up with the garden designer we're working with because we need some content for the site. So I'm going to take my camera and do some filming. Not illogical. We didn't really have a lot of money, but not illogical. I'm going to go to the nursery that we're working with. I'm going to go to the customers we've had to get testimonials. Um, I'd also been asked to pitch at this event. Um, I was also meeting up with a guy that was helping us with financial modelling. That was a guy, I'm actually in a podcast WhatsApp group with him where we share interesting podcasts. Just a, and a guy I hadn't met and I really was keen to meet. Yep. And um, my son's birthday was coming up. And so there were some, some clothes that I wanted to pick up in the UK. So there were reasons why I could make the most of going to the UK. I didn't need to go, mm -hmm. but I was basically jamming in an awful lot. And Add, this, adding one more thing. <laughs> this men's circle was the same evening. This men's circle was the same evening as the pitch. And so in my head... I was thinking, I've got this great opportunity to pitch to get investment, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my pitch and then I'm going to leave the event and I'm going to go and find somewhere quiet, brackets, to sit to do this men's circle. <laughs> How it actually transpired was I did my presentation. I felt amazing. Uh, it went down really well. I was like full of my own self-confidence. I left the meeting and went down Great Eastern Street, uh, sort of down from Brick Lane, and I needed some food, and there was a kebab shop. <laughs> and I thought it was appropriate on a, on a forum where it's all about holding space and being in a quiet space to, 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 to um, be supportive of other people. Yeah. I thought it was appropriate to check in. Now, in my own wrapped up in my own head, which I think is maybe indicative of a high, I was thinking, gosh, it's really important to me, this group. I really must attend. That's the most important thing. Right. That's where I was coming from. Yep. And I completely failed to acknowledge or have any empathy for other people on the group who might be going through challenging times. Interesting. Who might be coming from another angle. Mm, interesting. And quite rightly in that group, both Josh and Omar in the group flagged me on it. Flagged you on being in a noisy environment. On on them being pissed off, basically, about what I was doing it, in the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the eating, the noise. I, I I just think it's really interesting to, to be specific, maybe a bit clearer on what they're annoyed about, what they called you on. 
You know what I mean? Like the background noise, the the fact we're eating while sharing, yeah. we're on video. Yeah, but- let's let's keep what you're saying in. I think you wanted to cut that out. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, look, I was muting the um, the call, and in fact, sorry, give myself a break here. I started the call. Yeah. In fact, really give myself a break. I I did ask. I started the call and I said, look, I really wanted to attend, but this is where I'm at. Yeah. I, I, I just want to check what I'm going to do is mute my call. But I sort of put them on the spot. What I should have done with etiquette is told them in advance, guys, this is where I'm at, and given them the opportunity because it's their group. It's our group altogether. It's not mine. For them to say, actually, I don't think that's going to work. I, I basically came into the party and said, mm. this is my parameters. He's me and my kebab. Yeah. Sorry, you can cut that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, Josh will be listening to this. Maybe I'm forgetting, but I think I offered to turn my camera off. I turned my sound off. Okay. But the reality is I I have a point of view, as I think maybe you'd get from listening to this podcast. Um, And so I joined in on the conversation. Yeah. So if you imagine from someone else's perspective, it's quiet like this, and then every time Ashley chimes in, suddenly you've got car sounds and everything blaring in the background. Brick Lane. (laughs) (laughs) And it, and even more than that, I seem to recall, did I move? I think I even left the restaurant and went to a train station. And then I sat, again, from my perspective, I sat on a bench inside the train station. But then there's blooming trains going past. Like, I think what I'm trying to say before we listen to this clip is... I'm incredibly wrapped up in my own head. Yeah, it's interesting listening to you speak. I really get a sense of, I mean, in my training in NLP, we have this thing called fervial vision, which is like what you don't want, like you, where you go almost tunnel vision. And and what I hear is this really almost closing off of taking, I mean, you're sort of labeling it as taking other people into account, but really sort of coming into your own tunnel vision and just going full steam ahead. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, another example, my son who is six, um, had shot up in height and all yeah. of his clothes weren't fitting him. So um, we're having to get, I think it's seven to eight-year-old clothes. Right. So I, between filming or all the other things I was doing, I dashed into an M&S and I thought, I'd like to get my son some cool clothes. So I spent £200 on clothes, bought them for six to seven years old, right? Nothing wrong with that. And he needed that many clothes, but I just didn't take a moment to pick up the phone to my wife and say, I'm just getting these trousers. Can I just check the measurements? Mm. Tunnel vision. It's like, I want to get some nice stuff for my son. Secondly, it was his birthday coming up and um, I was going to TK Maxx. And I'd been trying to sort my parents out for buying him presents and they were dilly-dallying a bit. So I just spent like £100 on things he'd like in TK Maxx, but without having empathy for the fact that my parents might have their own impressions of what they'd like to buy him. Right. Stuff like that, like nuanced, yep. right? It was right. his birthday. Absolutely fine to buy him presents and buy my wife a little, a little bag as a present. I wasn't yep. buying a Ferrari. Yep. I didn't have the funds, to be mm, fair. So there is another element that I wasn't logically going, yeah, but where is this actually coming from? And for context, do you and your wife mostly try to agree on mid-sized purchases like that up front? before somebody spends the money? Uh, yes and no. I, okay. I wouldn't be annoyed if she did spend something or I did vice versa. If she but, got the size right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
but we're in quite a financially vulnerable position because uh, of the startup. Okay, great, great. Okay, cool. So Interesting. Again, right. a lack of context for my decision making at that point, which to be frank, flying to London was one whole example of that, right? Buying some stuff for my son for his birthday. Okay, fine. I bought some clothes inside the wrong size. It was a bit of a pain in the ass to change them because we're in the wrong country and receipts and that was all a bit annoying. Not the end of the world. Um, actually, the flying over there and, and, and doing all the bigger stuff, that the flying over and doing all the bigger stuff, that, that was where the expense was more. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting you say tunnel vision. Yes, absolutely. And we haven't even listened to the, <laughs> to the clip, but after this, when I get back to Spain, it's my friend's birthday and he's having a party and I'm like, brilliant. Work hard, play hard. I need a blowout. This will be fantastic. Interesting. And so I'm, I'm going at pace and even the idea again, like the music in the episode before, the idea of shutting off is like, I need to go for it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I need to shut off in a... In I'm, a I'm invincible. I mean, yeah, basically. Great. Interesting. Let's, let's well, have a listen. I, I, I can't actually remember exactly how this plays, this one. So to you listeners, I might be uh, I might be chopping this up a bit because I'm talking about a very specific situation, but I think there might be some little elements in this that will be quite fascinating. Great. Let's dive in. I'm calling because I wanted to... Pick your brains. No, I don't want to pick your brains. What, why am I calling? Hi, Josh. Uh, I was thinking I need to bed when I got your message, so I didn't come back to you. Um, in the spirit of openness and what I felt were my learnings from, from the last men's group, I wanted to run past you the fact that this situation with Omar has sort of slightly tripped me up and annoyed me and something I've kind of, I've got so much on, but it's sort of stuck with me. Um, and I just wanted to kind of express why I think that is and just to move forward from it. So first of all, uh, there were two forms of conflict on that last call. One was between you and I, and the other one was the situation with Omar. Now, with your feelings, the way it came across to me was that you were able to express your frustration with my situation, but then you were able to empathise with where I was coming from, and then you were able to express, actually having been able to express that, you now felt something different. So you said about how my attendance, you know, was more important than this background noise, etc. And so what that meant for me was I was able to feel that I had, first of all, misjudged the situation, that I had thought that me attending was the most important thing and not to let the group down, and I'd misjudged that. And to empathise that you had feelings as a result and for us to move forward together with a plan, which was, you know, that we need to stick to the 7.30 and we need to be in a quiet space. And I know now, if that same situation has happened again, then, then I can say that I can't attend. Now... With Omar, um, the feeling that I was left with by his expression of how he felt was entirely negative. And, um, and it's interesting for me because I've got to express some, some points to my co-founder that I mentioned on the call. So this is really good for me to understand how to deal with conflict because I think there are a number of us on the group who are, who are not good at it. Um, but I felt that... Omar, on the other hand, had stored up frustration and a bit of resentment as a result of 
both my being in a noisy place, other people dominating the conversation. And instead of having a voice in the moment and expressing how he felt, he clearly has got a lot of stuff going on. And I felt, instead of dealing with his own shit, put it onto the group. And, yeah, and, and that has left me feeling... You know, when I expressed how I felt at the end, I said I think I felt selfish. I, I felt like I'd been selfish in some way, and then I reflected on that, and I was like, no, I'm not fucking selfish. I'm doing loads of stuff in the world at the moment, which is the antipathy of being selfish. I had given up doing two things to come. That's not selfish. Like, as I said before, when, when you express what you were feeling, I, I understand the impact of my decision meant that you felt something but that's not that I was selfish and so yeah I I have to say that that the experience of that bit at the end with Omar left me sort of feeling why why am I attending these Um, I felt felt less like I should be making an effort to be part of the group Um, I felt angry that um, I was made to feel selfish when I'm, you know, I've been looking after my dad and then trying to do this stuff with the Ukraine situation. Yeah, it left me with a lot of anger. So, what am I going to do about it? First of all, I'm leaving this message with you because I thought it was an interesting point to discuss. Secondly, I'm going to reach out to Omar because I think actually the problem here is right back at the beginning he was talking about his feelings and I was saying, I've experienced this, you need to lean in. And it would have been super interesting for him to be able to open up and to express and to talk about those things. And I think we all could have helped. So with sincerity, I'm going to reach out to him and say, um, yeah, to have a chat. And I'm going to, even though it's uncomfortable for me to express how I feel, how I'm expressing to you. So um, but hopefully we can recalibrate uh, our conversation and and go forth with positivity and then yeah be be a friend um to be able to listen to his situation um and yeah that's my plan that's my plan anyway um <laughs> uh thought it might be useful feedback i'm always interested in your thoughts um i'll speak to you soon bye-bye So a lot of feelings being expressed here. You're, 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 this is brought up quite a lot for you. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I don't know if the, the exact feelings are the important thing in listening to this. Um, what I'm kind of settling in on is I am expressing stuff that I am feeling. And when you first listen to it, you can hear that I have been unempathetic I've been in some way tunneled visioned mm. in why I'm doing something and how people should fit around me. Yep. But even at this point, and I'm telling you this is, and I've never used the word, but in the right medical terminology, this is mania. Mm. And as with all of the audio notes so far, I'm taking a situation, I'm expressing something, right? I'm angry, I'm frustrated that I've been put on this spot, that I've been called selfish when I've been looking after my dying father, etc., etc. But once I've got it out of my system, I then say, but I realise that Omer's got stuff going on, and with sensitivity, 
I need to reach out to him to say that I'm there for him. Right. And this is someone saying that who's two days away from crashing. Yeah. So at the height of a high, I'm still able to reflect and to be considered and to think of others. Yep. In the moment I'm caught in tunnel vision and I'm, if I reflect on it, this message has gone to Josh like a day or two. In fact, I've just remembered this message has gone to Josh when I've got back to Spain. Yep, right. So this is literally just before this this party. Yep. And yeah, and I'm being reflective. Yeah. And I did do that. I reached out to Omar and we did talk about it. And so isn't mania meant to be about someone who's out of control, doing wildly ambitious things, having a negative impact on people, mm. doing, you know, just self-obsessed, creative, whatever. No, at this point I'm wanting to engage with community and to dig deeper into how I'm feeling. Right, right. The other thing that's fascinating with this group is it, as it transpired, not only did the audio notes document my lead up to a high, a high, a crash, a low and a recovery, my monthly calls with them have done too. So this group of people have seen me in these different states and that's never happened either, mm, which again is a, a gift for yeah. me to right. understand and lean into the fact that... <laughs> I don't know why I've just thought of this on this episode and we haven't even talked about this in advance, but there are positives in the low version of myself. Mm -hmm. So I've talked on the last episode about, or was it this one, about this music I could create and these amazing things I can do when I'm high. When I'm low, I'm hypersensitive to stuff. Right. And that's a strength of mine as well. It is, yeah. And yep. I think I've always when I was younger, especially in my 20s, gone, oh, no, I don't want the lows at all. No, mm. the lows stop me from doing anything. Mm. Yeah. Maybe part of my learning in this is actually, no, they're some of my biggest strengths. Yeah, yeah, and so embracing all sides. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was with you through some of the journey of that low as well. Yes, you have a hypersensitive as well. Is it also fair to say in some aspects that hypersensitivity can lead to not functioning at the same level? That you do normally? In the low? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the misperceptions of, of, of depression is that you're just sort of caught up and non-active and non-functioning. But, yeah. but what's going on in my head is, is hypersensitivity and reflecting and spinning on everything. Yeah. Right. But I'm really pleased to hear in this that there's an element of that in me at the highest high. Right. Right. I am a sensitive, engaged person who does care about what people feel. And yeah. um, that's probably part of the guilt in the low is is it pains me when I feel that what I have done has negatively impacted on people because that's the opposite of my key value set, right. <laughs> really. Right, opposite your intention. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess also listening to this, what I would love people that are listening to this episode to understand is either if you're someone who has bipolar and has a high that you're remarkable sorry the other thing i hope that for people that are listening to this is if you were someone who has bipolar and has your highs you might experience it very differently for me but for me i realized that 
I'm I'm a human being who's going through some stuff. There's yeah. nothing radically, dramatically, externally crazy going on here. Yeah. yeah. Um I'm and I am me. And you're coming across like you as well in, in all these audio notes, you're still rational, clear. I mean, maybe charging ahead a bit too much in tunnel vision, but you're still managing to come back to yourself, as you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess for people listening to this that are relatives or people who know someone who's got a condition, again, it's the normality of this that I find fascinating. Yeah. That the brain might be firing on all cylinders, making these interconnections, creating amazing things, but I'm still me. Right. Wow. Okay. That was pretty cool. So uh, it wasn't a, a usual uh, voice clip. It was actually a, a, a telephone call that you made to your, to your friend who runs the, uh, the men's group. Yes. It was very interesting. Lots to unpick there. It's really strange to hear you, uh, the person we know really well, you're perfectly lucid, perfectly sane. And yet there's, there's some kind of mode that you're operating in, which is slightly different from normal. Uh, not to the point where it's sort of scary or, or freaky or anything, but it's like, oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely something shifted in the way that you are interacting with the world. Um, mm. Paul, uh, what were your initial thoughts when you heard that tape and, and particularly the phone call that Ash had made? Yeah, well, I think it's important to sort of think about the context of this as well, that Ash has said that it's telling that he doesn't have his access to his normal diary notes, you know, his audio mm. notes. <laughs> and that, that in a sense, just in, that, that fact is reflective of his mental state, you know, that he's not attending to things quite in the same way. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we talked about that before, but I was just counting up that it's almost like there's less and less of these audio notes <laughs> as it goes through to the extent that the only thing I had that in some way captures the high is actually not an audio note. It's mm. something I happen to have sent. And I think that's representative of the fact that when I think back at my diagnosis, I always saw a psychiatrist or a counsellor when I was low you know, when you're high, <laughs> you think everything's... No time for that. <laughs> you can have time There's for no time stuff. for that. I've got too much to do, too much to pack in. And, and in yeah. any case, I'm feeling great. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you hear the actual recording of this conversation, yeah, you, you, can, you can get a sense perhaps of, um, as you say yourself, you know, sort of perhaps... Um, you know, you become a little bit sort of self-absorbed when you when you're in that state a little bit, and then perhaps you get into a kind of sort of narcissistic, uh, unjustifiable kind of irritation or whatever. Which, amazingly, you know, you're able to reflect on uh, in a way that I think many people can't when they're when they're high. But that that was actually you know really impressive and 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 good for you for sharing sharing it. But I actually thought the most information for me about the, the biggest clues about about your mental state were, were the anecdotes really about your kind of uh, full steam ahead trip to London. I think, you, you know, it was all about packing a lot in more than you would normally pack in. And and also you, you said that, you know, you when you went to buy clothes for your son, it wasn't that he didn't need the clothes, but it was just a little bit impulsive in the way you went about it because you weren't checking measurements and things like that and perhaps buying presents for others and perhaps you'd been you know it's just a little bit more impulsive and and the other thing being that 
quite a telling sign of mania is spending beyond your funds, beyond mm. your means, rather. You know, and that includes the flight, doesn't it? And and all the presents that you bought, which um, you would normally consider the impact of that and where, the, where those funds are coming from. Yeah. Yeah, I also picked up on your feeling of invincibility, you know, with the coming, like flying back and going straight to a party and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And also wanting to pack it all in as well. It was, mm. uh, yeah, it was that kind of in- invincibility. And it was like, yeah, I've, I've worked, I've worked hard. I'm going to play hard. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Next thing, please. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny when I look at where I'm at now, I mean, a few months after this, and in terms of what my working week looks like, it's very, very calm, but the stuff I am doing is highly productive, but it's, it's sort of focused periods of work. Rather than this relentlessness, it was just this obsession at that point that I needed to work at this pace. I mean, I flew over and I think I did four different films in two days. I mean, it's a bit like the music thing. I was filming with our designer and then I was driving across London to one of our customers and I've looked at the footage. It's all really good. <laughs> it all makes yeah. sense. It's all logical. Yeah. But it, but I didn't even put it on our website when I got back because I crashed. And then even when I got better, it's like it wasn't that urgent. Nothing was that urgent. And yet my own expectations on myself, but more importantly, the impact of those expectations, particularly on my wife, who was working with me and my business partner and the people that were collected around this endeavor, um, was intense. But again, the catch with this startup world, you know, they talk about Steve Jobs having a reality distortion field. Um, there are people who've achieved a lot by having this, this relentlessness, this kind of drive. But to me, this was, this was kind of, I didn't even need to be in London on reflection. <laughs> the main reason, for, yeah. You don't go so high as the quality starts to deteriorate as the quantity goes up, really. Exactly. You know, you're still producing say, yeah. stuff of reasonable quality or good quality, I don't know. But, you know, so, but of course, it, where it falls down is, is the fact that, you, well, in the interactions with others, because, <laughs> you know, you wind them up basically um and the fact that you which you said before is you are sort of winding yourself up for a crash which we can talk about um in the next episode in in other words it's not sustainable you know the the mind can't take going at that pace indefinitely um It, it is weird though what i said he actually said the normality is what i find fascinating that's what I said. And, and so much of it was normal. And you're saying the quality of your work didn't suffer as a result of you working at 100 miles an hour. It was the quality of your relationships because you were so focused on yourself and what you needed to do next. And why are these people getting in the way of my kebab? I need a kebab. I'm hungry because I've got loads of things to do. Um, it didn't come. <laughs> kebab, fantastic. Oh, God, yeah. The kebab episode is hilarious. <laughs> I feel like that when I'm not manic. Um, my, my food, as, as you know, Paul. But uh, yeah, but it was like the idea of people getting in your way. Uh, uh, and you said the normality is what I found fascinating. It was still you, but you're just a like, hyper version of you. And you were still kind as well. Yeah. You were still, oh, God, I'm worried that I'm upsetting people. No, hang on. I shouldn't be upsetting people because I'm busy. That conflict in Ash was going on between the lovely Ash we know and that manic Ash yeah. was 100 miles an hour, 1,000 things to do, going to make a million out of this. It, really interesting. 
but also doing doing two things at once you know you know ordinarily i'll have my kebab then i'll join the group or i'll say to them (laughs) i'll join the group then i'll have a kebab i might i might you know just find time a quiet time for the group and then maybe sort out eating and traveling on a train (laughs) but it's like you weren't being deliberately disrespectful but you can see that it could could have come across that way you know it's sort of well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be efficient here. What's the problem, guys? Yeah, I mean, you know? I don't know if it came across clearly on that, but to to be clear, I met up with someone for a meeting at like six that was just round the corner from this pitch. So I went meeting with this person at six, walked into the pitch, pitched, left at eight bef- before the thing had even finished went to do this call and I was like oh I'm hungry I mean the point you just made so literally in like three hours I did three things and at dinner <laughs> so and, it's not a Jekyll and Hyde yeah. you didn't go behind a yeah. sofa and, and it is kind of it's it, not a Jekyll and Hyde at all it's just an overlay on your on the Ash character <laughs> uh, so Ash is still you're still the same and then suddenly there's this mania it, moving at 5,000 miles an hour it's incredible I mean, it is quite funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I know we psychiatrists are thought to be kind of po-faced the whole time and very professional, but sometimes the stories you get from people are a little, are a little bit high, and, it, and they are quite funny. You know, I mean, you can laugh at it looking back at it. Yeah. And it there's something infectious about it, you know, yeah. as well. Yeah, I was going to ask a question, which was, um, I've talked before about my highs being hyperproductive, about... I mean, we're joking here about uh, going and talking, being on a call, having dinner. But the stuff you read about mania, again, if you read just on the Internet when you're searching, sounds frightening and larger than I think, that, as you say, the normality of this, like mania can be going in and buying loads of clothes for your son, even though he needs them, but just not thinking it through quite, yeah. which is quite a subtle form of mania, right? <laughs> Well, it's just an indication of impulsivity, isn't it? Mm. You're not, yeah. I mean, there are some people when they're when they're manic, they'll buy two houses and a, you know, a luxury uh, holiday on a liner, and they they don't have more than hundred quid in the bank. You know, you're not at that level. I remember you know? one thing at this point when I was there that's not in this recording that my phone uh, doesn't take very good photos. And I I knew I had no money and I knew that I'd been rejected for a phone contract. And yet I went and sat in a phone shop and did it again, even though I sort of knew the outcome. Which sort of happened around this time as well. It's like I knew I couldn't afford it, but I wanted it. And again, that's that impulsivity, is it? Oh, there must be a solution here. I just have a question, Paul, on on what you're talking about. And it says, you know, it, it sounds like there are scales of mania from... The, the, the little just not 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 thinking about mm. things completely through because you you haven't got the time you, and 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 Ernie needs clothes and I'm here in a clothes shop. Um, is is there a, a scale of of severity? But is there also something that is um, to do with the person's character when they're in quotes normal or not high? In other words, you know, or would would could people do something completely out of character? The vibe I'm getting from this recording is that it was just Ash turned up to eleven, as opposed to um, he'd been overwhelmed by mm. a, a, a relatively mild, I guess, mania. Is there something to do with the base personality as well as the amount to which the mania is taking them over? Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the short answer is yes. So I think you said it at the beginning of that. It's personal, you know, everyone's mania is personal or hypomania. I mean, the very fact that we've got these sort of different terminologies, hypomania, being mild mania 
and mania being mania. Um, I think I was trying to describe it last time that hypomania is perceived to be a high that is actually quite productive and where you can Got still it. function quite well in most in, in, in sort of work domains and in relationships. You can sort of hold your relationships together. They might become a bit strained, but they're still Got it. you're still functioning. Mm. And indeed, you are still functioning as a parent, you know, and so on. Um, so it would come under the hypomania category, I guess. But I mean, there are scales to measure these things, like the young uh, mania rating scale and so on, that can sort of give you a score of how manic you are. But then there's that other aspect of heterogeneity, if you like, where people can vary in, in their moods. I think we talked about it before. Like almost like mood and energy levels can be mm. on can can vary independently, so you can be in a kind of manically agitated state but feel sad oh, yeah. or even tearful, uh, or alternate between the two, or instead of feeling elated, just feel irritable. So there's two scales on the graph, if you like. So there's the energy high and low, and then there's the mood high and low so you can be high yeah. high energy low mood and the opposite etc i didn't realize that that's fascinating it is interesting i mean i should add that most of the time yeah. they map quite well onto each other i mean that's the kind of classic mania would be yeah, high energy high mood because low energy high mood seems like quite an odd mode to find yourself in i guess but but what i find interesting with psychotic mania Although people can have very grandiose delusions about being, you know, very, very important, gifted people, perhaps even, you know, a, a, a famous celebrity or, you know, or, or Jesus Christ or that kind of thing, there, it frequently tips into something less pleasant, which is a, right. a feeling of persecution, which I think is quite difficult to, to sort of... It's less less logical. It doesn't fit quite so well with the, the the idea that manic people are always having a good time. Could it be an extension of the thing that Ash was, let's say, suffering from, which was he's got so much to do and people are getting in his way? Obviously, clearly, Ash wasn't psychotic, but he 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 could have been seen to the outside world as being unreasonable in that people were getting in his way because he you know he had to have a kebab. He was in a he was in a busy place he'd had a fantastic day and yet he was still committed to this men's group why you know why is everyone getting so uptight with me you know that's not psychotic that's just um uh, bad temper that's you know my standard mode basically yeah in other words in other words i don't think it's you know you can say it's on a spectrum right. from what ash was okay. experiencing i think it's very different yeah one point about this that again i'm not sure comes across is this men's circle this men's group that i'm part of I don't know if it's quite clear in what I said, but it's because they pulled me up that I left this audio note. So Josh actually said in this group, mm. he sort of pulled. No, it was clear. I yeah, think. okay. They they actually pulled me up on it, and I, so I I wonder as a question is um, is it my self awareness and openness to put myself in a forum like this at this stage in this state of mind, or slash and is it the medication I'm taking? that means I haven't gone and done something even grander, like when I was first diagnosed, disappearing off to the States to make a film. and, and you know. I think it's both. I think it's likely both. You, you, you know, as, as, as I said before, I think you've become an expert, uh, you know, and it's admirable, you've become an expert at managing your own moods in a way you, and, and using 
various techniques, including meditation, to try to calm yourself down when you're feeling high. But additionally to that, I do think it's likely, isn't it, that the medication has modified it. Yeah. I mean, you could argue whether the medication's done an adequate job in this in this case, you know, whether the medication was quite right at that time because, uh, to, to avoid this. I mean, you, you pre- presumably would have preferred not to go through the up and then the down at all and really just being kind of, well, maybe <laughs> just mildly more productive, you know, and then not. But I mean, we can. it's a very interesting philosophical question, isn't it? Well, well I think, think for me on your, on your point there, I am glad I went through it because I think, I think you mentioned this in the last episode, there'd been stuff that had been building up for two years. And this exercise, this startup, this was me trying to get a sense of self that now I've gone through that, I feel like I'm somewhere I wouldn't have been before this. So it was bloody hard. Maybe it's a lesson in, yeah, maybe it's a lesson in where the limits are, you know, so you can say, okay, well, look, if I put myself under this much pressure again, this could happen again. So that's you can take that from it, mm. um, as opposed to someone else might go, oh well, I'm going to up my the dose of my medication because this might happen again, and next time I want to be more resilient. Uh, the answer isn't always medication. Yeah. I'm not saying that at all. I, I'm just saying people might take different approaches. I, I guess what I'm saying, and Ollie mentioned this in one of the early episodes, that the things I was saying sounded like midlife reflections about purpose about where my position was in the world so to me this experience the last probably eight nine months has been a wrapping up of my own sense of exploring what I'm doing wrapped up with mental health which is what made it all more intense but by leaning into the high and the low and trying to understand how I was thinking I've got even more out of it because I had bipolar is kind of how I assess it. Right. So you don't think you would you'd arrived at the same insights with Pete, you know, because you were doing the work with Pete anyway. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here yeah. because I I I I'm undecided. I, well, I mean, I'm I'm not you. I wasn't in your on your journey. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, Pete and I had a relationship. These recordings were made afterwards, so. Um, there was an exploration of, of purpose and why I was doing things. But I think it, what what was happening with Pete before the crash was more was more inspiring me even more to go after my, you know, aspirations. He's a, he's a life coach, not a therapist. Mm. So he's uh, he's there for you um, to to ask questions to make your life better, whether that's helping you with mental health issues or or helping you cope yeah. with all the presumably all the strains you have or setting objectives for yourself and goals, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like a counsellor, he's a foil. He's really, what he's good at, is, as you can hear on the recordings, is getting me to open up about myself. He's not telling me what to do. Um, hence, I think in the first episode when he said, oh, you know, I'm meant to be a coach and you've had a, a, a bipolar crash after 12 years. That's not very good for my reputation. Testimo- bad actually, testimonials on his website. So. Is there a sort of, is there a trip advisor for life coaches? Because you've really drove me to a bipolar episode. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, so... Yeah, but this idea of it's it's really, really hard, particularly in the lows, which we're going to come on to, to really embrace them 
painful, really painful. But but by doing that, doing it, you, the insights you can get are are really, I think even more so from the lows. Actually, it's the painful bit, but it's the bit where you can learn the most about yourself. And is that in terms of making sure, protecting yourself, making yourself more resilient, or do you find out more about your character, what your motivations are, and crucially, what makes you happy? I, I, I guess I just think it's a more intense version of something that you could probably do when you meditate or when you decide. I, I mean, we're going to come onto the loads, I don't want to spoil it, but there's one bit in there that I have a desire to run away. And some people just do marathons, don't they? Because they need something to just do for themselves uh, mm. as an activity to, to have time to reflect or to whatever. It's like a forced form of, it felt like a forced form of reflection. Whereas the high that I'm in here, as you've both said, I'm going so quickly that I can't reflect on anything. It's just more, 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 more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's that's a good place to to sum up isn't it all and prepare ourselves for i guess what is it the crash next um ash yeah i mean i was gonna maybe say because when we go to the next episode it's it's post crash so the only other thing that might be useful to say here is just from my perspective i came back from this london trip and the party really fascinates me <laughs> the the sort of trigger of the crash which i guess we can pick up on next time but maybe we can reflect on it a little bit here which is what causes the the high to flip and i've often described to people that moment for me is is like a day hours even and mm. um and I've described it a few times as like I'm juggling all these balls and then I drop one and I notice I've dropped one and then and then I drop another one and I drop another one. And so I had qu quite a few experiences through my life. One of them I remember very vividly. I just I was doing a contract in a job. They just offered me a full time role and then it happened and I basically hid in the toilet <laughs> as all of this stuff is crashing down, desperately trying to ring my friends to talk myself round and to get out of this state, feeling like I was falling and like there's nothing I could do about it. And I just had to say to them, oh, something's come up with family. I, I'm very sorry, I just have to go. And I never went back to the job again. So I sort of understand what happened in that case. But it does fascinate me this time that I just went to a party <laughs> and had a really... A really good time probably a late night it is quite sort of full-on um but it wasn't the same this time it was sort of a stumbling maybe we should leave that as a cliffhanger <laughs> in a, in a East <laughs> oh we Let's do, do that. we do love our cliffhangers on, on this series <laughs> stumbling off the back of a party yeah no i think that, that's, a, that's a great way of ending it it's been a really interesting yeah. episode the big thing i take away from it is how it's it's the thing that it's normalcy it's not normalness normality um which is what you're talking about ash you're still you it's still normal you just speed it up a little bit to the point where a uh you're at risk of exhaustion and the the inevitable crash that will come with that and b you're so focused tunnel vision is mentioned a lot i remember tunnel vision is mentioned a lot in the audio that you're at risk of encroaching on other people's lives and and maybe being inconsiderate and maybe yeah. not hurting people badly or, or irredeemably but you know hurting them a bit and not being considerate which is totally out of your character um doctor 
Yeah, I think it perhaps a, a good way of, of putting it is overstepping boundaries a little bit without knowing, isn't it? Mm. But that's a, that's a great summing up, all. And uh, oh, blimey! Of course, are you still um, uh, friends with Omar? That's the uh, that's the thing that we need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're. Um, oh, so I'm still in the men's group, which which is a monthly thing. So they kind of also saw the high, the low, the recovery, which was fascinating. But we're going on a a retreat in two weeks' time. So you know, no, that's, all... that's a really that's Great. a good that's a happy Great. ending to this episode, and also five new listeners potentially mm. if you're going to retreat. Um, hopefully, there's a Wi-Fi signal. Download them before you go, uh, gentlemen. Excellent, really good episode. I'm I'm a bit trepidatious about the next episode because you're a friend, Ash. I don't like to. I'm not looking forward to seeing you suffer, frankly, even if it's on audio tape. But um, I think we've got <laughs> to do that. So uh, the crash comes soon. We're at a cliffhanger. Let's see how that pans out next time. In the meantime, gentlemen, as ever, thank you so much and goodbye for now. Bye for now. Bye bye.